0: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Have you ever tried too hard at being good? Right? Like tonight at the Super Bowl party, you're going to try to eat good, right? You're going to stay away from the sugary stuff. You're going to go away from the calorie stuff. You're going to hang out near the veggie tray, right? You're going to be, and you're going to, I'm going to do good tonight. I'm going to keep up with the New Year's resolution. I hope you, I wish you success tonight. But then you're in the car driving home, and your spouse, your kids are telling you, man, did you try that dip? It was amazing. Did you try so-and-so's dessert? Oh, it was so good. And then you feel angry. Right? Because you missed out on something that was good. You tried so hard to be good, and now you're just kind of left feeling. Let down. Maybe in, we can talk about some more significant opportunities, right? Maybe with a new job opportunity where you've just tried so hard to succeed, to to start off on the right foot, maybe to impress a boss or a co-worker or to land that first sale, and we end up getting so hyper-focused on something in one area. We try to be good in one area, but it leads to neglect in others. Maybe you begin to neglect your family or healthy practices things like that. Maybe as a new spouse, you found yourself trying to build up and to lift up your new marriage partner, and in the pursuit of following their dreams, you perhaps neglected some of your own dreams and desires and places where God was leading and wiring you, trying to be good, trying to be the best version of ourselves. But as we pursue something too deeply in one area, often other areas get neglected. Maybe the first time you're a parent or new parents is you're struggling trying to find out how to care for this tiny little human being, and so you try to do everything right. You read all the articles, you have everything figured out, only to find out that they still cry the entire night, right? No matter how much we try in one area, sometimes there's other areas that pay the price. Because as human beings, we're complicated, right? We're complex, we're multifaceted, and our default settings, were almost guaranteed to find ourselves in one of these scenarios. Trying to do our best in a particular area almost automatically leads to a lack of development in other areas. As we pursue something, good as it may be, and as well-intentioned as we may be, it often leaves things in its wake. Sometimes we're aware of them, sometimes we're completely unaware. As we begin this series, I'd like to make the, the case today as we begin that this is true in our spiritual journey as well. When it comes to our pursuit of God, our following of Jesus, sometimes we can overcorrect ourselves. We can become so laser-focused towards one aspect of our development, towards one aspect of how God might be speaking to us, that we miss out or neglect other larger areas of the spiritual journey. It may be out of preference or out of ease. It may simply be our natural inclination. But too often we get stuck there, and we don't have the tools to recognize it, to do something about it. And so we just kind of find ourselves swimming in this kind of pool of existence, not quite knowing how to move forward, knowing that we're not quite there. And yet we just keep doing the same actions over and over again. So this is really prevalent, especially here in the American church. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about one specific piece of this. We're going to get to the root of some of our issues, hopefully travel a little bit deeper into ourselves to experience, hopefully, some more of the freedom that Christ offers to us that, again, takes some of the harder work. It takes some more focus to focus on this one area rather than simply pushing it to decide. And so the series is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We're going to look at the ways in which our spiritual development is tied to the things that go on in our emotions, in our hearts, right? All of those feelings that we feel. We take that title from a book by the same name, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, by a guy named Pete Scazzario. Scazz, Scazz, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's on Amazon, right? So if you look for it, there's the link there. It's like 10 bucks for a paperback. So as we dive into this, if you get the sense of going, man, this is really something that I need to work on, something that I'd like to work on. A couple of things as we get started. Number one, be here as much as you can. We're going to dive into a different topic. He has six individual pathways where we can take our emotional health to the next level and have that drive our spiritual growth. I'd really encourage you not to miss out. If you do have to miss out, I know you got things planned. Uh, make sure that you're subscribing either to the YouTube channel or the podcast. Make sure you're getting caught up on these pieces. Maybe you want to buy the book and follow along. I'd highly encourage that. We're not going to be going from the book every single week, uh, but we are going to take those as our topics and lead off points. So if you learn better through reading or you want to go deeper or read ahead, highly, highly encourage that. One step further, if we're launching life groups next week, and so if you're wanting a place to discuss and kind of go deeper with a community of people, I'd highly encourage you to sign up, stop by the Welcome Center, get connected with a group uh, so that we can actually walk through and process some of these deeper things. Because we're going to be spending the next six weeks or so after today digging into A little bit more of this issue. But today I just kind of want to set the stage for us. What are we talking about? What does it look like? How do these emotions wrap themselves up? Because as we said, we're complex, multifaceted creatures. So I just have this little pie chart that I found that talks about that. Uh, This isn't all of you, this isn't the sum total of you, but we all have these different parts, right? These different pieces of the graph. We've got our social aspects or intellectual or spiritual or physical, and there's this piece of the pie that we would call our emotions. It's not all of us, but it is a part of us. We have an emotional self, but often in church world, we tend to only focus on one area of the pie, right? We focus on the spiritual growth element, right? That's our niche. That's where we're going to spend our time. But if we only try to build up that one area of the pie, we focus too hard on being good in just one area to the neglect of everything else. The the some point of the beginning of this book, the beginning of our talks together, is that this ultimately does not make us healthy. It makes us unhealthy. We may have spiritual knowledge, we may have the ability to know and understand things of God, but without equal growth in all areas, we'll find ourselves stunted. And here's the reality. If we don't grow evenly in all of the areas, if we only focus on one or another, what we wind up with is not maturity. What we wind up with is a completely out-of-balance pie graph to our life. And so this series, we're going to look at one of the more neglected areas within the church world, which is our emotions, right? Not only is this neglected, but I would say that within church as a whole, we actually diminish this piece. We actually say it isn't important. We frown on listening to our emotions. Sometimes we even teach that emotions are bad, right? You may throw Jeremiah 17:9 at me. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, we're not supposed to listen to our emotions. Emotions. The Bible says emotions are bad, right? Or we look at verses like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so we interpret these things and we go, oh, those things are bad things. Those things are things that we ought not to feel. And so then we don't feel them. We don't acknowledge them as a part of our spiritual development. We say those aren't real. Those aren't things that we're supposed to pay attention to. Let's put godly words in there. Let's put good things in there. And so we neglect this entire aspect of our personality this entire aspect of the way that god wired us so when we get angry instead of filtering it through our god-given walk we instead go to carl winslow from family matters right three two one one two three what the heck is oh come on no family matters in here (laughs) That hurts my heart, you guys. Anyway, we'll keep going, right? The point is that we don't develop emotionally healthy habits of dealing with these pieces of ourselves, And ultimately, sometimes the message from our faith, the message from up front, or what we learn as we grow up is that we're not even to give those emotions credence. We might even say those feelings are sinful, right? So we can't even feel those things. And when we don't allow ourselves to feel those emotions, we make ourselves stunted in that area. We say that's not a appropriate, that's not okay for me to feel that way, so we don't even acknowledge that that's the reality of how we're feeling, and then we find ourselves emotionally growth stunted. We're emotionally unhealthy, and that has the net gain of pulling down every single area of our life, spiritually, socially, intellectually, across the board, right? Which causes not only emotional problems, but problems all over. In other words, If we try too hard to be good in one area, we cause damage to our emotions and pulls everything else down, and often we never learn to heal it. So uh, I was starting when I was starting off ministry about a hundred years or so ago. Um, I was uh, I was one of our first ministry outposts, and I remember it was a really really overwhelming season for us. I was teaching three to five times a week and in, in multiple different venues, and I find I found myself just getting worn down. We had uh, new babies at home, life was really really challenging, and in a moment of emotional processing, I went to a veteran of the faith and I said, "I'm really struggling with with this area. I'm really." struggling with feeling like i've got enough in me i'm feeling tired exhausted worn out i'm feeling emotional and angry and all of these things just kind of came spewing out of my mouth things that i had pent up for for far too long and i'll never forget that in that moment speaking with this veteran of the faith who'd been a christian longer than i'd been alive and in that moment he just said well those are just the times when we just rely on jesus and keep going I'll never forget that because what it spoke to my soul is that in the midst of of overwhelming emotions, in the midst of things being really, really difficult, what we should do is ignore that feeling. What we should do is push it to the side and just keep doing what we know we ought to do. We should just keep doing the right thing. Just keep following Jesus. Just trust that it's all going to work out. Too often, this has been the spiritual teaching that we get. When you don't feel like it, just keep going anyway. Eventually, your emotions will catch up. What I'd like to say to us today and as we begin this series is that, in fact, that is emotionally unhealthy for us to do. It's unhealthy for us to ignore the thoughts, rhythms, and patterns of our lives. It's unhealthy for us not to stop and to take an inventory. It's unhealthy of us to just keep going when everything inside of us says, I need to stop and pause and take an inventory. I need to take a deep dive into what's going on inside of my heart. Why am I feeling this way? What are the things that are happening that are making me feel and affect me in this way? Because too often our faith gets stunted because we don't take time to dig a little bit deeper into ourselves. As part of the resources behind this book, I found this chart that talks about our spiritual development. So it's like we get started there at step one, right, which says life change. This is when we come to the knowledge of who Jesus is and who God is, and we're on fire for the Lord, and then we get into discipleship, right, teaching, small groups, where we learn more about our faith, more about who Jesus is, and we dig into Bible study, all of those things, and those are great. They're essential for our development. And then we reach the point where we're able to give back, and we go, oh, I should be serving. I should be pouring myself out, and we think that this is kind of the end, right? This is what we talk talked about in our last series as far as vision for our church. And at this point, there kind of rears a wall that appears. It, It stops us from going deeper because the next steps really are much more deeper in introspection. They have a lot more with translating the information that we learned about who God is, about how we're created to be, and about how that interacts our world. And we have to go on a deep internal journey to process through those things. The problem is that on the surface, we dismiss that as selfish. We dismiss that as unnecessary. We dismiss that as, no, just keep going. You don't need to pay attention to those things. And so there's this wall, whether it's real or artificial, that gets, beat, that gets built up. The, the problem is that on the other side of that wall is personal transformation, is not just behavior modification, is not just doing the right things, but it's actually internal transformation. From there, that leads to external transformation, and finally letting us love others with a transforming kind of love. Too often, though, our processes lead us up to the wall, but are ill-equipped to get us over it. We all feel it. I would imagine that if we were sitting down over coffee and had an honest conversation about spiritual walks and spiritual development, we would say, I just feel like there's something deeper that I need to understand, that there's another layer to my faith that I want God to come into, but I just don't quite know what that's looks like. Chances are, hopefully at least, we're going to give you some tools to dive a little bit deeper into those places over the next few weeks. But part of this maturity process is why so many people within the church either leave because they're stunted or they go on to pursue something deeper, quote-unquote. Because they find something that they couldn't find within that normal three steps of following Jesus. The tagline for this book is incredibly challenging, and I love the way that he puts it. He says, It's impossible, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's impossible to be spiritually mature, to grow to the heights to which Christ has called us without doing the hard work of digging into our emotions, why we feel the way that we feel, the way in which we've grown up, been raised, why we react to certain stimuli in certain ways. There is no way to be spiritually mature without first getting emotionally healthy. It's part of growing up that staircase. It's not one step after another. It's a staircase that grows on each other. But again, too often we push emotional health and mental health to the sidelines, and we say, if you just, if you just had enough faith, that wouldn't be an issue. But the reality is that that's not what Scripture teaches. That's not who Jesus is, and He wants to bring us full transformation into every single area of our life. So, as we get started, I think it's good to start just on a base limit level, which is to say that at some level, we're all a little bit emotionally unhealthy. We all have areas where we can grow. This isn't to point fingers, it isn't to say, well, you need to grow up in this area, right? Don't look at your spouse now and begin a conversation. That's not not where we're going. But instead, let's own the fact that we all have growth that we need to do in multiple areas. And if you think you've arrived, that's the surest sign that you haven't. In the book, he outlines kind of ten things to look for when it comes to emotionally unhealthy spirituality. I kind of condensed them down to just three topics that uh, I want us to dive into today, but if you want more, there's more available in the book. So, the first sign or the first area that shows that we might be emotionally unhealthy, spiritually speaking, is when we use God to save us from doing what's needed. When we use God as an excuse to to save us from doing the hard work, when we make excuses like that veteran Christian told me of just saying, no, just keep pushing on, ignore those things, just keep doing what's expected. We're using this idea of faith and who God is to instead of doing something smart and wise to push through. I had another friend whose father uh, had this habit where he would work all day, And then he would come home, and the first thing that he would do is go into his study where he would spend an hour to an hour and a half in deep Bible study. He'd come out for dinner and join his family. He'd spend 20 to 30 minutes talking with his kids about their day, how things went, and then he went right back into his study for another hour or two at the end of the night. If we're just looking through the spiritual lens, we might say, wow, that's incredible. This guy's probably a saint. He's probably amazing levels of of spiritual depth and all those wonderful things. And that's fine. I'd just like to tell you that what he's doing is he's hiding behind God and using the knowledge about God instead of actually putting it in to practice. When we use the knowledge of God to spare ourselves from the hard work of being a parent and being a husband, that's not spiritual maturity. It's emotionally unhealthy, and it's not healthy spirituality, right? Maybe you love coming to church, worshiping and singing praises. That's your jam, thanking God for His graces. But Monday through Friday, your life is characterized by blaming others and wondering why you always get the short end of the stick. There's a disconnect between your worship of God and the actions that play out. Maybe on Sunday you're a ray of sunshine, but Monday you're the office grouch, or you want your spouse to take more spiritual initiative, but your conversations make them feel belittled and makes you feel empowered. In other words, when we neglect to apply our beliefs to the entirety of our being and all our actions, we become emotionally unhealthy. And too often we use the guise of spirituality, we use the right terms to shield our behavior, like we're trying to honor God in the things that we're doing, but the reality is that if our lives don't reflect that transforming power of Jesus, then we're some level at some point emotionally unhealthy. When we over-spiritualize the parts of our lives and under-spiritualize others, it creates a disconnect, and usually everyone can see it but us. I love the way that one person in the book said it. He says this. He said, I followed Christ for 22 years. But instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian for 22 years. We've all known people like that, right? Who've been in church their entire lives, but their disposition, but their personality, but the way in which they process and focus the world does not speak of Christ's love. It speaks of judgment and of coming down. It speaks of hiding behind the good words of Scripture instead of actually being a transforming presence in people's lives. Because when we hide behind scriptural ideas and God ideas in favor of actually doing the hard work of transforming our ourselves to be more like Christ, eventually we'll stop growing spiritually, because our emotional immaturity will pull us down so far that God can't take us to new heights, because we haven't learned how to do the basic applications of Scripture into our lives. If you're hiding behind good words and godly teaching in favor of actually doing the actions of following God, you might be emotionally unhealthy, spiritually speaking. Number 2. You might be emotionally unhealthy if you're ignoring what's true. If you're ignoring what's true about yourself. Like church teaches us to avoid sinful behaviors, right? Like anger, jealousy, envy, right? So we know that when we feel angry, we have to quickly filter it, right? Like we can't say that out loud, otherwise somebody'll hit us in the face with a Bible verse, right? Y'all with me? Right, we know this, right? When you come to church on Sunday, there's kind of this, there's kind of this filter that we all have to operate on. Like we can't be honest. We have to say things that are filtered correctly to make it sound like we're still following Jesus, we're still pursuing him, but there's just some stuff going on. What we've done is we've created a culture where we cover over what's actually happening in our emotions and our hearts and this thing that Jesus gave us to teach us and learn about ourselves, and we've said, no, we're not going to use that terminology instead we're not going to allow ourselves to feel those feelings and we're just going to say the right things the things that should be said the things that scripture tells us to say right because we're afraid of the repercussion of being honest with the people around us anybody with me on this or is it just me right? We do this instinctively. It's a part of that protection mechanism, and it's not just anger, right? Christians are terrible at conflict, so we ignore it, right? We have disagreements. We fellowship intensely, right? We let things go. We sweep them under the rug. Do you like that one? Why do we do this? Well, because we love people. We want them to know that we love them, and so rather than having a hard conversation, we'll just let it slide by, the, the problem is that when we allow people to remain emotionally immature, to not handle conflict well, what we teach them is that it's not important in our followership of Jesus, who, by the way, was in conflict virtually the entire time of ministry that we have recorded when he was here on earth. But this forms an inappropriate idea of what conflict is like. And maybe for you, you go, we don't want to fight in front of the kids because when I was growing up, I remember my parents fighting all of the time and that made me feel insecure and eventually it led to my parents' separation and so we never have real honest conversation in front of the kids. Guess what? You're not teaching them how to deal with the emotions. Now, I'm not saying you just have a yelling match in front of your kids, right? But there's developmental steps here to where we have the opportunity to be developed on an emotional sense. This is part of following God. After all, our emotions are a piece of what God gave us. We're created in His image, and your heart, your emotions, those things that you feel are a part of it. And when we're not honest about the way that we feel when we ignore those things, all we're doing is repressing what God gave us us as an indicator about how He wants to work in our lives. When those things rise up, they may be sinful, they may not be sinful, but the point is that Jesus wants to bring us through them regardless. There's more on the other side of the wall. There's more on the other side of that introspection. If you're ignoring what's true about you, you might be emotionally unhealthy spiritually speaking. Which is why I love David in the Scripture. David wrote a number of the Psalms in the Old Testament. If you ever read through the Psalms, there's some real up-and-down moments, right? There's some, like, praise and exubilation—exubilation, that's not a word— exhilaration, jubilation, all kinds of stuff going on, right? David is on the mountaintop worshiping God. And then there's other Psalms that David's like, I hope you wipe out every single one of them right? Like, kill everyone, God. Vindicate me. Where are you? And as you're reading through the Psalms, if you're reading critically, you've got to be going, this guy's unstable, right? Like, he's not okay. He's going from one one extreme to the other. Somebody needs to get this dude some medication. Like, there's something going on deeper here. And what I love about David is that what he portrays to us in the Psalms and in his story is not one of a polished life, For God. And what scripture records about him is that David was a man who was after God's own heart. And yet we see what was left in his wake is this volatile emotions. We see that he commits one of the worst sins that we can probably think of, right? He commits adultery. She gets pregnant, so he tries to frame the husband who's more righteous than David. David has him killed in the front lines of battle, and then when he's confronted about it, he writes a song, and he makes sure that that song stays in the scripture. Can you imagine your worst possible stain just laid bare for all the world to see? I mean, we have Facebook now, so maybe you can. But for David, right, he had the power as king to make sure that nobody heard this story, to make sure that nobody was the wiser. But instead, he goes, look, part of being a God follower, part of the work that God does in our lives is to take us on this roller coaster of our emotions and to see us through on the other side. Translation, God is in the emotions, He's in the anger, he's in the joy, he's in the frustration, he's in the envy and the jealousy, he's in the sin that we do as he tries to bring us through it. God wants to be a part of those conversations. And when we ignore those emotional processings, when we say those are not valid feelings, all we're doing is robbing ourselves of the time and place for where God can work us through them. There's health on the other side of actually feeling those things. One final indicator that you might be emotionally unhealthy is judging, specifically judging other people's spiritual journey. When we find ourselves in an unhealthy state where perhaps we're only looking at the surface level of our own spirituality, it becomes very easy to just lob bombs at what we see on the other side of the fence, to just look at everybody's surface level behaviors and to just start chucking grenades, right? Obviously, this is easy to see social media, right, where there's no social collateral being exchanged. We can say whatever we want to. Chances are that the people that are on our Facebook are all believing the same way that we are, and so there's no real consequences consequences for our actions. I can tell you this last couple weeks, my heart has been breaking over the abortion conversation that's been happening on Facebook, because what I see from a number of people around me is not an understanding of a person who has to go through that very difficult decision. The medical bill that was passed is for required third trimester abortions, and yet the way that the conversation is framed within the church is one solely of judgment. That's all that we leverage at people, judging them for their actions, past, present, or future. These are still hypothetical situations, and what we leverage against them is not the love of Jesus, is not the compassion of understanding, is not going, why are they not transformed at the deepest level because Jesus hasn't come in? Instead, it's just lobbing surface superficial bombs at them. And then we wonder why they don't want to show up to church on Sunday because we've been judging their spiritual journey. We've asked them to be mature believers in Christ and to be integrated emotionally when they don't own that as a piece of their story. And instead of tearing them down, we ought to find ways to love and walk alongside them. Because what we do is we create a culture where we can't say the word abortion in church without judgment being cast down. There is no forgiveness, there is no redemption, there is no reconciliation. All we teach the world and those people belonging here is that if that word is a part of your story, if that word ever entered into your mind, then you have no place here. Judgment has been cast. And we wonder why people leave. We wonder why they don't feel the acceptance and the love of Jesus because we're so concerned about helping people out in their spiritual journey that we don't take the time to actually love them exactly where they are. They're at. This is not a political stance on abortion. I agree, we all agree together that that's not God's plan for anyone, and yet it is a part of people's stories. And if we can't find ways to have loving conversations where we see the person for who they are, we have missed the entire message of the gospel. We have real opportunities where people need to hear about a God who loves them, who has a plan for them, and instead we're just lobbing bombs at surface-level ideas and then wondering why church isn't a welcoming and accepting place. Judging other people's spiritual journey is where we forget our own path, where we forget to do the deep work of reflecting and looking backwards, and instead expect that everybody ought to be where we are today neglecting the fact that we're on a spiritual journey moving forward as well what we can do what we ought to do what we should be champions of is walking alongside people taking them one step at a time in their walk and relationship with Jesus not leveraging judgments from afar none of my friends live in New York everybody had something to say that's the reality This is why I love this image. It's on the cover of the book. We'll be staring at it for the next couple weeks. I actually gave you a little drawing to do. You don't have to write these words on it, but it's more the symbolism that I wanted you to pick up on, right? That so much of the things that we see, social media, conversations, out to dinner having conversations, is these behaviors, right? It's the top 10%. 90% of an iceberg is hidden under the water, right? That's what keeps it afloat. And so what we see in our own attitudes, behaviors, and development is this top 10% of the iceberg but there's so much more going on within it. But to get down to those levels takes a level of deep introspection. It takes some tools and some opportunities to have real conversations, but too often our faith and our processes, this Sunday morning thing, we only address the top 10%. We only address our behaviors, the things that we do, the things that we say, right? Don't curse, don't drink, show up to church, smile, wave, and be nice, but put us in a compromising situation, stick us in traffic, and our language changes drastically, right? Put us in an offensive situation, and all of a sudden, what spews out of our mouth is not the love of Jesus. It's bitter, it's vitriol, it it represents something that Christ has not yet touched. Our true colors emerge and come out. So what do we do? Well, we do what any good Christian person ought to do, right? We stuff those things back down there. We don't acknowledge it. We don't say that they're hateful words. We don't say that they're damaging words. We say, oh, I lost my cool, please forgive me, and we all say a prayer together. The reality is that Jesus, the work of Christ, wants to get down into the very depths of this iceberg. The deepest, most real parts of you is where Christ has the most freedom to give. And instead of just behavior modification, changing the top 10%, what Christ is after is spiritual transformation of your entire being for eternity. Jesus addresses this in Matthew 23 where he's addressing the Pharisees and and he says it this way. He says, you clean just the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish so that the outside may become clean as well. Jesus wants to say, hey, I've got some deep work to do in you but it's gonna take a deep personal introspection. It's gonna take being honest with the person in the mirror. What you've done up till this point won't get you to where I want to take you, but I'm not after you saying the right things. I'm not after the mask that you put on when you're around other people on Sunday morning. What I want is to get to the heart of the matter, those things that you feel, the anger that wells up within you, the frustrations that you have, the envy, the jealousy, your true heart and emotions. Jesus says, when you bring me all of that, then I can start doing my work then I can start ushering you into deeper levels of freedom. What we're going to spend the next six weeks doing is looking at some pathways and tools into those areas, into opportunities where I believe fully that Jesus wants to bring healing and transformation and wholeness. We're not going to talk about the top 10% myth behaviors. We're going to talk about the 90%, these things that influence and move us, the things that perhaps your entire spiritual journey you've been told not to talk about Jesus wants to talk about those things. He wants to camp out there. He wants to sit himself down and to have a heart-to-heart conversation with you about why those things are there and what they mean and how he can heal and help those areas. So we're going to employ some creative tools. We're going to use some benefits. But I just want to remind you that coming on Sunday morning isn't the point of any of this. We're going to talk about how we take what we learn on Sunday morning and how we translate it into our lives and into the days of our week. We want actual, real transformation in our lives. So I hope that you'll be here on Sunday's. I hope that you'll tune in. If you can't be here, listen to the podcast, tune in on YouTube, call a friend and say, hey, what did we talk about on Sunday? Maybe you're a reader. I'd highly encourage you, get the book, read ahead, read alongside us, use it as a study guide as we go throughout this process. Lastly, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you, find a small group to have a conversation get together with people to where you can actually have real-life conversations about some of these things. While that may be intimidating on the surface, I promise you that what's offered is life and fullness and hope, not judgment, not hiding and repressing things, but having the actual conversations that maybe your faith has been yearning for in the past seasons of your life. You can sign up for a life group. Many of them will be going through the book. Maybe you're saying, man, there's nothing there that works out for my time schedule, anything else. Talk to a friend, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, we sit in the same row often. Do you wanna get together and have some regular conversations? Do you wanna grab coffee so we can talk through this? You can't do this deep introspection alone. You need a mirror, you need somebody on the other side. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're gonna sing one more song, but, but I'd like to give you just one small piece of homework besides what we've talked about. I want you to take that iceberg, right, that, that picture that we have, and, and I don't want you to focus on that top 10%. I, I want you to go to the Holy Spirit and to ask God, what's in that bottom 90%? What are those pieces that, that perhaps I don't want to talk about or maybe I've never talked about? What are those pieces of development that He might have you to do? If you're so bold, I would dare you to write them down and have an actual conversation about them. But maybe it's just that we could draw awareness to the areas where God might already be speaking to you and leading you forward. What's hidden below the surface of your life? I'm not talking explicitly sinful actions, although there may be those pieces that Jesus wants to redeem and heal and bring into the light. I'm talking about those pieces within us that we just sense are broken, are a little bit off, where it's never quite made sense to us, where we've always felt like we're not quite who Jesus wants us to be. When we're on our own, when we're driving in our car, who we are Monday through Friday, I don't know what terms God will use there, but As we sing this last song, maybe as you go throughout your week, just cut out that picture, put it on your mirror, put it on your car dashboard, somewhere where you'll see it. And this week, I dare you to just ask the Holy Spirit, say, talk to me about that 90%. Talk to me about what's below the surface. Maybe my actions are right on, my language is pretty clean, I show up to church, I serve, I do all those things, but God, is there something hidden? Is there something deeper that I need to pay attention to? Just ask that question of the Holy Spirit this week. See what he says. And I dare you to come back to have some conversations and let's get healthy together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, so often in our tradition and our experiences, we're taught to ignore this big 90%. And so, God, we want to take bold ground for you in these next couple of weeks, God, and we want to take territory there. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want just part of healing from God. I don't just want 10% of me to look good and shiny, Jesus. We want you to come into every part of our hearts and lives and to teach us about your wholeness, about your fullness, about what you have for us. And so, God, as you enable us, would you give us perspective and opportunity to see and hear from you this week? Would you speak to that, the deepest parts of our soul, perhaps the pieces that we've closed off that we thought weren't appropriate to even utter in your presence, let alone actually have a conversation with you about? Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on areas of our lives that are, that are hidden, that are way down deep, and would you give us the courage to confront them, to have conversations, to get healthy in areas where perhaps we've suppressed those emotions for far too long or where we didn't even think it was an issue that you could deal with. We just thought we had to get over it. We just thought we had to not talk about it and it would go away. Holy Spirit, would you give us the boldness to get healthy in this series? Would you give us people around us that we could grow in those conversations with, and would you help us to be fully transformed individuals, not judging from afar, not leveraging what we think we know, God, but being humble in our process of following you? God, would you speak to those areas of our hearts and souls that we might be completely transformed through you and through your Spirit? Jesus, we're trusting in your power for this. We're asking for the Holy Spirit to speak to us today and every day this week about this 90% of us. And we're asking God that in your preeminence as Father that you would lovingly care for us as we have these conversations. It's in your name that we pray. All God's kids said.